WTOC AM, W236CR Indianapolis, keeping you informed with what's happening in and around Indy. It's Community Connection, brought to you by Child's Advocates, your voice, their future, on Praise AM 1310, 95.1 FM. And good afternoon and welcome to Community Connection. I'm Tina Cosby. Today is Monday, September the 18th. Um, On our show today, 55 years ago, 21-year-old Carol Marie Jenkins, a young black woman from Rushville, Indiana, was brutally murdered in Martinsville, Indiana, while selling encyclopedias. It was later determined to be a racially motivated attack, but there was so much more to her story in terms of what it represents, uh, race, relations, uh, police investigations, and so much more. There has been a book, a number of stories, and now there is a documentary about to be released, all the work of award-winning investigative journalist Sandra Chapman. She's going to join us in our second hour to tell us more about the project. Also, in our second hour, the Indiana Civil Rights Commission is looking for volunteers to help with their annual MLK Day of Service. We'll hear more about that. But first, uh, tomorrow at noon, outside the Marion County Prosecutor's Office, the case of Gary Wayne Harrell will take center stage. Harrell, you'll recall, is the 49-year-old black man who was shot in the back last month by a white IMPD officer as he ran away uh, from a traffic stop, August 3rd to be exact. Um, the video of the incident has been released, and the name of the officer who fired the fatal shot, veteran, IMPD veteran Douglas Correll has also been released. Um, as the investigation into the incident continues, some members of the community are calling for more. Here now, with the latest on that, is the Reverend Danelle Howard, senior pastor at the Hobie Street Church of Christ. Uh, pastor Howard, uh, welcome to the show. Hello. How are you today? Pastor, hello? are you there? Yeah, hello. Are you there? Hello? Hello? Yes, can you hear us? Hello, can you hear me? I can. Can you hear us? Can you hear me? Hello? Uh, Sky, let's take a, can we take just a quick break and we can get this audio uh, situation fixed? Um, I can hear him fine. I can hear him just fine. Let's get back to the conversation. It's Community Connection with Tina Cosby on Praise AM 1310, 95.1 FM, Indy's Inspiration Station. And we're back. Uh, We were trying to get a couple of gremlins worked out, technical gremlins. Hopefully, uh, Reverend Danelle Howard, senior pastor at the Holy Street Church of Christ, is with us. Um, Pastor Howard, can you hear us? uh, If you guys can hear me, I can't hear you when when the beat comes through. But I, I can hear you. We got a couple of gremlins worked out. So let me just, You can hear me now? I don't know what I'm going to do here. Uh, you you say you can hear me? Hello? Yeah, Pastor. This is T. I, I'm trying to figure out why you can't hear us. Are you. Do you want to call back? And tr- I, I'm not quite sure what that is. Well, I can't hear you, Tina. I don't know if you guys can hear me. I am going to just try, we can hear you fine. try to call back. We can hear you quite well, actually. Oh, I don't know why you can't hear us. Okay, he said he's going to call back. So we're going to hopefully uh, maybe just a, 
you know, clearing his line and calling back will uh, will take care of it. I don't know. That is very, very odd because he has a very good connection. I mean, it's very clear. Um, and I really wanted to, to speak with him today. Uh, so hopefully we can get this, uh, you know, we can get this one worked out here. Uh, Sky, is he back? Let's see. Ah, not yet. Okay. Uh, anyway, um, as I was saying, um, oh, he hasn't called back yet. Um, wow. If somebody is, is close to Pastor Howard and can hear us, please have him, uh, call again. His, his, his connection on this side was crystal clear. Um, but for whatever reason, he could not receive us, could not hear us. Um, not quite sure why that is. Um, Anyway, uh, hmm, I don't know if we've ever had that happen before, but if anyone that is listening that's near, anywhere near Pastor Howard, please have him give us a call again, 317-239-1310, 317-239-1310, or if there's anyone, um, associated with, uh, the, uh, the initiative and the, 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 uh, the meeting tomorrow outside the prosecutor's office. Uh, give us a call, 317-239-1310, 317-239-1310. Um, the name, you know, the, the event, there, there's going to be a gathering tomorrow at noon outside the Marion County Prosecutor's Office uh, to bring attention to the case of uh, Gary Wayne Harrell, 49-year-old Gary Wayne Harrell. Um, the, uh, the headline um, of the gathering is called... Uh, Hashtag justice for baby G. Hashtag justice for baby G. So um, uh, I'm assuming baby G is, is Gary. Um, okay. Um, Pastor, are you there? Hello? We're going to try to chat with you again. Are you there, Pastor? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, I'm here. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, I'm here. I, I know you're there. Just tell me you can hear me. Yes, I can hear you. Oh, okay. That's what I needed to know because if I don't have that answer to that question, then we still got issues. So thank you for being here. I I sincerely apologize. I'm not quite sure what happened. But um, anyway, I'm glad we're connected. How are you today? I'm doing well. Yeah, uh, there's a little bit of a delay. I don't know if you're on a headset or if you have a head, but yeah. I'm on my cell phone. Oh, you're on your cell phone. Okay. Okay. You say you're listening through the radio. Okay. Cause he can't hear me on the phone. Um, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of a delay because, uh, the, but anyway, just, without me asking anything so that there's not a delay, uh, can you go ahead and tell us what tomorrow is going to be all about and what your concerns are and what you, what it is you're hoping to accomplish? No problem. Tomorrow we'll be uh, standing on behalf of the community uh, and all of those victims who've been, um, life have been taken by the IMPD um, uh, officers, we will be asking the community to stand with us um, to declare that we just want justice. 
and I think that's fair. Mm. So what what are you what are you asking for specifically? Well, uh, in particular or specific, we're asking that the officer be charged. Mm-hmm. Well, this gathering tomorrow include a meeting with the prosecutor. No. Okay. The prosecutor um, has uh, told us unequivocally that he is unavailable to meet with us. Mm-hmm. So, how how is the family doing? Tell it. Give us some. You know what's happened since then. Can you share with the community what you know? Well, what I what I do know is that we have a grieving mother uh, and a family that's upset, hurt, and feeling betrayed by a system that they trusted, that they depended on. And so we have a community that's upset and hurt and feeling betrayed by the system that we have empowered to be in our neighborhoods patrolling. So that's what's really happening inside this community and this family. A lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of frustration. Yeah. So uh, if someone wanted to join the the gathering tomorrow, what do they need to do? Just show up. Be there tomorrow. Take a lunch break. Stand. It is important that you participate whether or not you knew the victim or not because the next time it could be your family. The next time it could be you. And we will be standing just as well for you as we will for anybody else. So we can't take position and say, well, that's not me or that's not my family or I don't know him. This is a cause that a community has to stand up and say, we're not going to take this. Well, Pastor Howard, I am, I'm so sorry about the audio issues. It's, it's definitely hampering, you know, my ability to, to get a, a complete interview in there. But, you know, hopefully uh, we got enough of that. Is there anything else you want to share before I have to let you go? Because it doesn't seem like it's it's fixed yet. So uh, is there any, you know, just tell us what more you want to share before we have to let you go. I would say to the city of Indianapolis and your listeners to remember the words of leaders like Fred Hampton Sr. and that the power is in the people. The people have all the power. If the people would just show up and demand better, then these processes and these systems could be changed. Things could be better for us. But we need the people to care enough to show up and demand better. The power is in the people, not the politicians. The power is in the people. All righty. Well, thank you. Thank you, Pastor. And again, my sincere apologies for uh, the frustrating uh, audio issues. Um, you know, hopefully we can get those those fixed and um, uh, we will we will be talking again with you soon. Um, I apologize for whatever the issue may have been. Thank you very much, Pastor. And uh, Sky, let's go ahead and open the lines if we can, just to make sure <laughs> that um, there are, I, I, I'm pretty sure that there are folks out there that can hear us. I mean, he, I've never had sound issues that profound. I, I know you probably haven't either. Um, seems like uh, Pastor had to listen. Uh, the reason that there was such a delay my understanding is is that Pastor Howard had to listen to the show through the radio and 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 we had to conduct the interview that way uh because there seemed to be uh, a bit of an issue so I again I apologize but 
Uh, the long and the short of it is that tomorrow uh, they, uh, a group of uh, protesters will be gathering uh, at noon outside the Marion County Prosecutor's Office. Um, they are uh, protesting um, the, uh, oh, okay, yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, sounds like it was mainly, um, uh, it was mainly on the, uh, yeah, okay, RN checks out. Okay, so he may have been having an issue on uh, his his side on his end. But um, I'm going to open the lines for whatever may be on your mind. Uh, like I said, I wanted to tell you a little bit more um, about as much as I know and as much as I was able to gather uh, about this tomorrow. Um, again, the, the, the hashtag is um, justice for hashtag uh, justice for baby G. Uh, it has to do with the, the case of uh, Gary Wayne Harrell. You may recall. Uh, last month, August 3rd, to be exact, Harold, um, a traffic, uh, a motorist, a, a traffic stop, stop suspect, uh, was shot and killed as he ran away from that traffic stop by um, a veteran IMPD officer. Harold uh, was holding a gun as he was running away from the officer. Uh, and uh, my understanding is that uh, particular uh, incident is um, hmm, under investigation and is now, I do believe, at the prosecutor's office. I believe the, the officer has been uh, uh, put on administrative leave pending the outcome of all of the investigations. And uh, there it lies. I do, I have heard that um, uh, my understanding is, and I haven't had that confirmed, but my understanding, and I've read, that the family of Gary Wayne Harrell um, has uh, uh, retained the services of civil rights attorney Ben Crump. Um, we just need to nail that down, but it would make sense. It would make sense. So, but and again, it's tomorrow at noon uh, in at the prosecutor's office, 20, 251 East uh, Ohio Street. Um, and, you know, just a, a show of support uh, for uh, the Harrell family and others. And, um, yeah, that's that's what's going on. Anyway, 317-239-1310. 317-239-1310. What are your thoughts on this or anything else uh, that has taken place um, over the weekend? We can catch up for a few. Uh, 317-239-1310. GT, go ahead. How are you? Good afternoon, Tina. I wish I could be there tomorrow but um, for the to rally out there. But uh, hopefully uh, what I've learned recently... Uh, listen to your um, station, you know, from mm -hmm. one to three each day, all last year and this year. Uh, hopefully, individuals who have issues with the prosecutor and or the mayor or the city county councilman, and when they say that individuals are not responding to them and or they equivocally are denying whatever they're trying to ask for, that they have receipts i.e. recordings, emails, or phone call logs stating the facts of whatever they are espousing to be true. And also they need to uh, know the process because people like myself do not know the processes of what happens when a crime has occurred. Uh, when it comes to the police officers, what they can do and what they can't do, the, the prosecutor where it may be at, where they can't say certain things because it might uh, spoil their um, – their, uh, investigation or whatever but just a lot of things are in play that i think people need to know and also possibly have like i.e if i have an issue 
I should have, if I'm going to come on your radio station, make sure that I have receipts stating the fact that the mayor has denied me or the city county council said no. You know what I'm saying? You know, you know, I'm getting that, Tina. I'm trying to follow you, but I'm not quite sure where you're going with. So are you saying, uh, are you responding to the last caller to to the, what, tell me again. Up, he just hung up. Okay. Well, um, you know, as far as receipts and and what have you, you know, it would it's it's great to know. I mean, it, it, in some ways, it's good to know everything that you need to know. In other ways, it's almost impossible to know everything that you need to know because it's very uh, involved, especially from the officer standpoint. There are some basic things like when you're pulled over to at a stop, stop. Uh, follow the commands, uh, you know, and, and don't run, I guess is, 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 you know, standard stuff, I guess, but there's so much in between all of that. And then, uh, GT, I, I guess you hung up or we lost your call. Uh, receipts I'm assuming would be the video, the body worn cameras. Um, I understand that, uh, if the budget is approved, there's going to be dash cams as well. Uh, which give a wider angle, I mean, just a stayed angle, I mean, a stayed shot, a stayed picture, whereas the body cam moves with the officer, but the, the, the dash cam is just one single view, I guess, or one single shot. So I, I was trying to follow you, and I think I did, but if I missed, I, I apologize, I did not mean to, but, you, you know, when you were saying receipts and before... Um, calling the show and make sure or or what have you i'm just not sure but yeah there is an opportunity tomorrow uh and 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 you know it's it is frustrating it's quite frustrating uh to to see this this hang up i mean hang up i see this come up time after time um and yeah we're more sensitive because we're african-americans because we're black we're more sensitive to that so we're gonna be um but um uh, the, the right to protest, the right to um, express concern and grievances is, is a fundamental right, First Amendment right. And so uh, it's good to see uh, members of the community exercising that, that First Amendment right. And again, uh, Reverend Danelle Howard and several others um, are going to be uh, exercising that right tomorrow at noon outside the Marion County Prosecutor's Office downtown um, on East Ohio. Again, uh, Reverend Danelle Howard, Senior Pastor at the Hovey Street Church of Christ. And um, uh, I guess I'm assuming it's going to be from noon until, well, it just says noon. Uh, yeah, it just says noon. Uh, and, um, yeah, uh, Gary Harrell. So, uh, 317-239-1310, 317-239-1310. We have open lines for the next... 20, 30 minutes or so. We can catch up from the weekend or whatever you want to talk about, whatever's on your mind. 317-239-1310. Uh, Mike, go ahead. How are you? Hi, hi Tina. How you doing, Monday? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks. Can you hear me? You doing all right? Hello? Mike, are you there? Yes, can you hear me okay? I can. Okay. Happy Monday to you, Tina. 
Happy Monday. <laughs> I just wanted to share with uh, you and your listening audience uh, <clears throat> about this protest coming up. I want to mm -hmm. share what I experienced. Uh, I think it started Friday. Out here, 38th to Midhop, there was a shootout. There was two men jumped out of a car, wearing masks. There was a dude walking down the street in a white T-shirt. They start firing at him. Then he returned fire at them. In the middle afternoon at three o'clock. When when was this? This weekend? This happened. This happened. This uh, this Friday. This past Friday. Yes. And I'm surprised, oh. uh, I'm surprised the news didn't pick it up or in any type of coverage. <laughs> Then, I, I uh, haven't heard about that one. But go ahead, go ahead. But then uh, later on, I know someone who had uh, called uh, 911 because she heard uh, gunshots. And uh, the conversation that she was getting from the 911 operator was really aggravating to her mm -hmm. and she you know because she's like uh you know you just need to send a car out here because as i speak to you there's gonna be a dead body over there laying but she was getting a lot of feedback from the 911 caller but also out here on the east side i know you heard about the uh young man body they found over here in the apartment off of uh 38th and mid Hopper as well so you know I what what's I the story behind that one, Mike? Huh? What's the story behind a young man found in an apartment? What? No, he was talking, they dumped him in the parking lot uh, out at the old uh, East uh, Side Park Chateau apartment, uh, all, uh, behind John Marshall. Okay. Okay. He they they dumped his body there. They don't believe he was killed, shot there, but they dumped his body there. And uh, that took that took place probably about around Thursday or so in the uh, afternoon. Uh, <laughs> yesterday, I was taking a stroll in the neighborhood, Tina, and uh, I walked by a guy that had a short, uh, a short sawed-off shotgun stuck in his pants, probably about around. Five o'clock or so yesterday, walking down 38th Street. And this is where I'm getting at. To what point, to what point do we protest, you know, a police officer trying to uh, do his job and don't know the outcome of what a person's going to do with, with a gun in their hand because you know the rule of engagement is if, if you got a gun in your hand you you, you plan you plan on uh, having combat if you're going to surrender then you're going to drop the gun you mm -hmm. know so you're not you, you're, you're still not yet surrendering and I see what you're saying. Idiot. So if he, you're you're saying that if he were planning, well, the fact of the matter is he he was leaving at first and went came back right and got the gun out of the car and then ran right. Yes, yes, ma'am. 
Isn't that what the video showed? I'm not making, I mean, I'm not assuming, I'm just saying this is from my understanding and watching the video, he came back to the car, pulled the gun out and then took off running, right? Right. So what you're what? saying is there's an area, there's a gray area there because in terms of all things being fair and equal, if someone has a gun, you don't know what they're going to do with that gun, even if they may be running away from you. Is that what you're saying? That's a, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. Because what was the pur purpose of him coming back to pick up the gun? Yeah. I was always taught this: don't pick up a gun unless you plan on using it. Plan to use it. That's true. You know. So you know, the police officer he, he he's not inside this guy's mind. He can't be inside his thinking. But this is what I'm trying to get my community to listen to: the stories I just said that I seen and I heard of from this side of town since Thursday, since Thursday. And the woman who had a hard time with the 911 officer, uh, uh, operator, trying to get a car out because gunshots has been fired. Uh -huh. If we continue to travel down a road of beating up police officers, our res their response time to phone call to the nine one one calls are going to slow down. They're going to slow down, and they're going to slow down. And what's in the streets now? People walking down the streets with sawed-off shotguns stuck in their pants is going to flourish because. We're going to start living in an unlawful society. And Tina, we ain't nothing but a toy, call, so, toy toss away from it now. And, so you're uh, saying at, at some point lawlessness will take up. But you know what, though, Mike? Um, and I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. Okay. What about the trends, the numbers, the, re you know, the, the fact that it's clear that there are more african-american male shot by white police officers than any other group when police officers shoot there therein lies a, a problem that has to be addressed as well so how do you wh where's the balance you know do you do, do you do one or i mean where do you, where do you strike the balance because i get what you're saying too and you have a val valid point just like those who are saying you know, we're tired of our, our, our African-American males being shot at the hands of white police officers that, you know, and it's not Indianapolis, just Indiana. I mean, it's all over the country. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm, so I'm where, where, how can we strike um, uh, a balance? Uh, because, well, first of all, Indiana. And I have to tell you, the other day I saw um, a young lady. She almost bumped up against me. And that's the only reason I saw her gun. She had a gun in a holster, just, you know, clearly all the way on the outside of her clothing uh, and in full display. And I about lost it because, number one, male or female, I almost bumped into somebody with a big gun on their hip. And you never know if they're going to go off or not go off or what have you. And I just like, oh, my goodness, here it is again. It seems like I'm running into that more and more. Yeah. Uh, you're, but I, I, I'm, I see what you're saying. So is, is it at the state legislature? Do we start amending some of these, these laws? That's where the protest. That's huh? the protest. That's exactly where the protest needs to start at. 
stood down there right at the state capitol building. Because I, I would think, state, yeah, the, the lawmakers. It's the, yeah. Yes, it's the state legislator that got all this out of whack. Yeah. That has all of this uh, out of whack. And uh, for what purpose? You know, to create chaos in the street. And, then, and if they keep it up, they won't have to worry about it too much longer because the convention is going to start falling off because the numbers here is going to be so high that uh, Indianapolis is going to be uh, deemed unsafe, to, to, uh, unsafe city to travel to. Well, you know, the, the, the lawmakers ignored police when they went in mass, including the state police superintendent. When they went in mass and protested this, this measure that they went ahead and approved anyway. So, uh, you know, it, it's going to be, a, yeah, protest indeed is going to be up to the voters and maybe police and community can band together to, to uh, lobby and protest the, uh, the legislature mm -hmm. about amending or changing these laws because it makes absolutely no sense. And if these Republicans does not take their head from between their butts, they are going to open up a can of worms that yeah. they wish they never had uh, tempted to. In a lot of ways, Mike, I think they already have. I think they yeah, already have. And it's sad to say, yeah. Tina, because yeah, like I is. said, it's, it's too much over a weekend and four days uh, that done passed that I have experienced uh, this in our community out here on the far east side and it's it's off the chain well thank you for taking my call tina you have a good day thank you thank you robert i appreciate it and you know what that what robert is, i mean i'm sorry what mike 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 i'm sorry robert is next mike what mike is saying is uh wow might be part of why it's so difficult to recruit police officers, not only here, but around the country. That may be a part of it. We don't know. But it sure is difficult uh, to get uh, uh, good, decent citizens to join police forces around the country these days. Uh, maybe it's because the, the community is better armed than police departments are, thanks to these legislatures. We don't know. Uh, Robert, you are up next. Uh, well, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll go ahead. And, we had a break early. Go ahead. Yes, hi, how are you? Hey, fine, are you? I'm well, thank you. I just want to make a couple of comments pertaining to basically the terrorism of the Caucasian officers on the black black men. reason why I call it terrorism because there's no such thing as racism. Racism is terrorism. You're trying to terrorize either a person or a group of people. At the same token, we are also quick to say white cops on black men, but look what some of our people are doing. When young black men are killing each other and mm -hmm. other people, there's no mm -hmm. outrage about that. To me, in my strong opinion, we really need some strong leaders and some backbone who are not afraid to talk about these issues. We need to come to the table and talk about that. Why do you think there is such pushback, Robert? Let me ask you this. Why do you think there is such pushback? Because Hello? it's a real thing, and I hear it on this show on the regular, that it is just a, you know, there's a pushback when you talk about black-on-black -black crime, when you talk about how black youth are are, are offing each other at, at ridiculous rates. We don't want that to happen, but there's pushback if you talk about it and, and point it up as a problem. Why do you think that is? 
Okay. There we have. Uh, I don't know if that was an accident or if that was on purpose, but if you want to finish our, our thoughts, uh, Robert, um, you're welcome to call back. Uh, we're going to take a, let's take a quick break right here and back with more Community Connection right after this. Let's get back to the conversation. It's Community Connection. Tina Cosby on Praise AM 1310, 95.1 FM, Indy's Inspiration Station. And we're back with Community Connection, and we are in a battle uh, against the technological gremlins today. I've never quite had a day like today, so, um, you know, hopefully we can get through this um, and um, get to the other side of it, hopefully. Robert, uh, who was making some really good points, uh, was uh, suddenly, we lost his connection. Uh, he Hello? was called back. Thank you, Robert, for calling back. So, Robert, go ahead. Please finish the point you were Hello? making. Go ahead. Yeah, can you hear me? Robert? Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? Oh, my goodness. <sighs> I don't know what that could possibly be. Um, okay, go ahead, Ron. You're next. Uh, Robert, please uh, call back. Uh, Ron, can you hear us? Can you hear Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? I can, barely, but go ahead. <laughs> Um, pertaining to what I was saying earlier is... Oh, Robert, uh, you're back. Okay, go ahead. There's go ahead, no Robert. too much... Have you noticed, there's always outrage when... This is an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, when a white officer or a white per, white person kills somebody who's black. True. When it's yeah. black on black, you hear about it, then it just dies down. In our community with our people... Straight up on it, the morals have left. A lot of morals have left. If you notice, in the 60s and the 70s, we used to look out for each other, compliment each other, and hold each other up, going for as far for brothers and sisters. Now it's so much angry and so much anger among us. First, we have to heal from each other. For whatever situation happens, we have to heal. We need to come together. We need to sit down and talk. And a lot of them also don't have to feel God or, uh, as well in them as well. Mm. Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? Hello? Robert? Oh, this is annoying. Um... Robert, uh, if you uh, can hear me, um, uh, yeah, I did hear all of your points. I hear. Here's the thing that's annoying. I can hear everybody perfectly well. Um, so there's something out there in the whatever it is, verse, uh, phone verse, I don't know, uh, phone line verse that we just simply cannot uh, connect well today. Um, uh, Sky, let's try to go to Ron and see if Ron's call comes through. Tina, you know I love you, and I hear you perfectly well as well. So I'm not sure what the little, uh, little, little demons is doing, but anyway, I hear you perfectly well. I heard Robert perfectly well, and yes, I agree I with Robert in so so many ways. Tina, um, as long as we have some white people or a police officer or a police somebody that we can identify that we can take our anger out against. 
we take our anger out against them. But when it's black on black, uh, to some degree, there is no individual that you can basically hold responsible. Because in a lot of cases, we don't know even we don't even know who's killing who. But besides that, there's no real way to target someone, and we don't seem to want to target black people ourselves. If you target black people, you're on the wrong side of the argument. If you target black people, uh, you may not even you, you you may get people who are mad at the host if she says anything that seems to target black people. As long as you target white people or the police, it's all good. If you talk about us hurting us, that, that that's a whole other conversation. Uh, and, and as Robert says, you know, people don't see don't want to hear that. There's pushback. Uh, Tina, the other day you had a caller that said. They put guns out in the uh, in the black community so that black people can kill one another, and they called it the new lynching. Tina, can you imagine the uh, the outrage we would have if every day two or three white or two or three black people were found hanging from a tree? You'd have an outrage that you would not believe. But those people who think that they gave us guns and we just shoot one another and it don't matter. Uh, I think that would be genius if that was their plan. I say the same thing about abortion. They, they make abortion illegal, illegal. We kill one another. We kill our babies in the womb. The police never get a chance to shoot them. The Ku Klux Klan never get a, can, never get a chance to hang anybody in the tree because they've already kind of been dead already. Tina, it's, it's, it's the black-on-black thing that Robert said. We do not get into an outrage over that because we just don't seem to be able to find a way to push back because it's we kind of rather make it a white versus black thing when it's somebody killing somebody is what it is wishing you all the best tina and robert try to call back in and, and finish your point thank you ron um anonymous go ahead how are you i'm fine how are you i'm well thank you um this may seem harsh, but I think uh, when you do something wrong, it requires, uh, if your child was to do something wrong, you, you may whoop them like they did back in the day. I know you were restricted from doing that for the most part, but uh, I think that just like they did back in the past where they had, uh, I think these, these, uh, these I don't know, I, I think it's gang activity going on, of course. Um, it's someone older telling younger kids that it's okay to do this because they don't have family structure, so they go out and make a family with someone who's older than them, and they become a part of something that's bigger than them, and they think it's okay to go out and kill and shoot and all that. I think the juvenile courts should have more power and authority over these young people who are doing that. I even think we should bring back the draft or something or what have you for young people, uh, 17 on up, that are doing this. At least they'll be alive and they'll be in the military, but at the same time there won't be all this killing in the streets. Uh, once you find someone guilty of shooting or killing someone, put them in the military eventually. Put them in the military so they can go out and kill someone who's our enemy instead of killing each other. That might sound harsh and cruel to a lot of people, but and the people say, well, that's my baby. It doesn't matter. If your child's out there killing and shooting and robbing and doing all that, 
That is no excuse. That doesn't justify that just because that, that's your baby. We have got to do something about this killing and something about what's going on in our community. We can't blame, even if there were a thousand guns coming into our community, nobody makes nobody shoot anybody. We decide to do that ourselves. And that's just my personal opinion. I I experienced, I was walking down the street, and I think somebody's riding around hitting people in the street because mm-hmm. I was over in my apartment and I was walking, and someone drove past me and tried to hit me in the car with uh in a with a car. Mm. That's reality. That's what happened to me. Mm. I'm sorry, and it's frustrating because hey, you know what? It, it it's happening to all of us. There, you know, people just I have mean, no. I mean, what else? What else can you do? That might sound harsh to a lot of people, but what else can you do? I think it should be lower juvenile. I think kids who are 17 on and older should be put in the military or something. If they can go around killing somebody and say, well, they need to go and 18 years old and then go to jail, whatever they do, I don't know how the juvenile system works. But uh, if you're old enough to kill somebody, you're old enough to uh, pay the cost for that. I don't know, maybe even 16 on up. I know it sounds crazy, but we have got to stop this killing. And it's yeah, gang. we got to find a way. And and uh, gang, uh, thank you. And I appreciate. Go ahead. I appreciate your call. And the frustration is real, just like the killing is real. The reality, all of that, is real. Um, and is there a silver bullet? Probably not. But it 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 has to be approached from a number of angles somewhere somehow. And and I certainly get the last caller's frustration. Lifestyles, go ahead. How are you? Hello, happy Monday. Happy Monday, sir. How are you? Okay, you can hear me. Hey, I'm fine. Uh, first, I want to say kudos to my son. He won Homecoming King uh, Friday. Uh, oh, happy, yeah, well, congratulations. What school? Pike High School. Okay, okay. Homecoming. Yeah. All right, I love yeah, it. I That's great. Congratulations to him. Um, I've been listening, and I actually was uh, <clears throat> talking to uh, George. You know, George calls in. He's a friend of mine. We were just talking the other day about this, and Tina, I want everybody to really listen to this. This this is not I, – I heard somebody say that they don't like people to say black on black, and I kind of understand why they don't want people to say that because, you know, whatever – I think I said this a long time – whatever area or environment you're in, if you live in a white environment, you, you're probably going to kill white people if, if, if it's a poor environment. If you live in a uh, – what I'm saying is this is a systemic thing. This has been going on at different times um, for years. And we know things were different in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. A lot of it had to do with music influence. And I want everybody to know that African-American people were put under a project, okay? We were a big project. Once, And this is what I mean by that. Once they allowed us to be free, at least when we thought we were free, we were put in certain areas in the United States under a project. They wanted to see basically if we would, um, if we would know how to survive or if we would uh, be put in these impoverished areas to uh, thrive or would we kill each other, okay? We have been put under an experiment, and we have definitely done exactly what the higher-ups wanted us to do, okay? I don't know how. 
uh, I'm not doing it, but I don't know how other people or younger people or whoever's doing all this crime on crime. I'm not going to say black on black or whatever environment you live in, crime on crime. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know how we stop that, but this is a systemic thing that was taught to us. We were taught violence. We were taught all the things that we do to each other was taught by our slave owners, was taught by the people that were throwing the babies out and the, the, the newborn babies out in the water to the alligators when, when in the slave days. I mean, <clears throat> all the things that we've been taught, violence, has been taught by the white man. Now, how do we get out of that? I don't know. Um, I understand that from what I've been looking at and listening and, and, and just watching over the years with, with generations and decades and, and, like I said, music and things like that, that has turned in, as an influence. Um, we know in the 60s and 70s, it was like the, the uh, I don't know if Ron or somebody said we were complimenting each other. We were, we were you know, uh, I'm black and I'm proud. But things transitioned on purpose. We, things were implanted and embedded into uh, society to change one group, and it changed us. We don't sing about those things anymore. We, uh, we rap about, well, with, with hip-hop's the biggest genre, so we rap about shooting and killing each other, doing drive-bys on one another. Um, we have turned this into an insensitive, um, insensitive society. Um, I don't know if African, I, I, I pray that African-Americans uh, get it together, and I'm just speaking for us at some point. Uh, but you, you, it definitely has to start at home. It's a big parenting thing, because I know that. I've got a 17-year-old. It's a parenting thing. But after that, what do we do? Um, what can we do to change this next 10 years? Because, you know, it seems like every generation, Tina, is, is getting worse. Um, things are getting worse. Yes, we're killing one another. But, again, we're, it's a project. Just look at it like that. We're in impoverished areas where everybody's a crab in a bucket trying to get up and get out of that bucket. You got a guy next door to you that's maybe selling drugs, and then you got a guy next to him that works a job every day. Um, everybody's trying to get something from somebody, whether they're going to be robbing the drug dealer or robbing the guy that's getting up and going to work every day. Crabs in a bucket. I want somebody else to speak on that and maybe – we can get a little bit more insight on it. I won't take up too much time, but that's what I'm saying. We're under a, we were under a big project a long time ago, and putting people in projects, that African-Americans, that was an experiment. And yeah. it put us in an impoverished area. It, it made us not have much. It made us live low-income. You know, lifestyles, not meaning to interrupt you, but I, what has changed? Because those dynamics have been in play for a long time. There's always been crabs in a bucket. There's always been uh, those who, uh, you know, are scra scraping and, and, and trying, struggling to get to, out. I think it's the struggle, uh, you know, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, uh, the struggles mm -hmm. were different, but the, the dynamics were the same. There have always been people who have decided that you know who have have chosen you know well, I'm going to do it this way or I'm going to do it that way and because I mean there's plays there's books there's all kinds of things over time over generations here's the thing we have this we know now more than we've ever known so understanding it and having the context is great not embracing it and holding back and falling back on it is is where I think you know well this is the reason and of, of course it is but what then, like you say, then what? 
How, you know, how do you break away from it? We should know more about how to do that and how to be better than now. But the problem is, I think, I really do believe with the advent of uh, social media, internet, things of that that nature, that um, it's gotten, it's it's just gotten wildly out of control. I I don't know. It has. Too many voices, too many too many sources, too many competing messages. It's just yes. discombobulated to the point where uh, it's it's like categories almost. It's it's crazy. It uh, is. I don't know. It is. I, I don't know either. I just know that we're kind of going down this rabbit hole, and it, it's getting worse and worse. Um, yeah, we, worse, worse, and worse. You know, I don't really... I don't believe in treating teenagers like they're adults, but I know teenagers are doing adult things, but mentally they're not adults. So I understand. I understand what you're saying. I agree with the, I agree with the military thing. I think if you get, I think that would be a great idea, not necessarily drafting them, but making them do a certain amount of service, five years service. If they get caught with a gun or if they get caught. Yeah. But you know what? You're going to get into, um, and and thanks lifestyle. You're going to get into, uh, uh, First Amendment rights, all kinds of, you're going to get into a whole can of worms that, that we just simply, uh, you know, I don't know how we're going to navigate around that. Danelle, let's see if we can get you in here real quick. Go ahead. Hey, Tina, how are you doing again? Oh, okay. Uh, Pastor Danelle, I, yes. Yes. So this, I listened to hear the response because I knew this was going to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. Usually when you talk about stuff like this, we typically, it's apples and oranges. We're talking about the difference between state-sponsored violence and self-deprecation. There's a huge difference. Because anytime you talk about police action shootings, then black people start saying, well, where were they when the black people were killing each other? Well, we're still here, and we're still fighting against that thing, too. But that's self-deprecation. That's a mental health issue. That's why racism is a public health issue. Uh, crisis. So, so you can fight that and still fight against state-sponsored violence at the same time. And, and I think we haven't asked the question, or we dealt with it a little bit. Who put the crabs in the bucket? Yeah. Crabs don't naturally go in buckets, and so when you put crabs in buckets, they do unnatural things. So mm-hmm. this is about uh, holding states and holding those people accountable to state-sponsored violence. We have to be able to do that and address our internal issues at the same time. But if you want to know what happened, if you ask me, same thing that always happens. Anytime a leader steps up and says something or speaks out against state-sponsored violence, he's killed. Look at Hampton. Look at Malcolm. Look at Martin. Look at Negger and countless others. Look at James Meredith. Look at all these people. And if they're not sponsored or killed, then they're made a mockery of, or their character is assassinated, or people are trying to belittle their statements and things like that. Listen, this is state-sponsored violence. That's what we're talking about. And the other challenge for us is the internal issues that that we respond to because we were not made to be in the buckets. And so people are responding unnaturally and erratically because they're stuck in these buckets. Ask yourself who put them in the buckets. And then how can you be mad at a crab for responding to trying to just get out of a bucket that he doesn't naturally belong in? 
So we can do both. I wish we would take that approach that we could do both. We can deal with our... But here, here, Pastor Howard, with all due respect, what they're saying is we don't hear about the other. We don't hear simultaneously going on. We don't have as vociferous, as strong as a pushback, as the urgency about what's going on within our own communities does not seem to be there. Uh, And then maybe, maybe the point is, because this is state sponsored there or is put because it's what you're calling state sponsored i don't know but in in fairness to the callers and stay right there we got to take a real quick break uh, pastor Howard. stay right there we'll get right back to this okay wtoc am w236 cr indianapolis keeping you informed with what's happening in and around indy it's community connection brought to you by child's advocates your voice, their future, on Praise AM 1310, 95.1 FM. And we're back with Community Connection. I have a very good connection now with Pastor Donnell Howard. Uh, and Pastor Howard, the, the only point I was making, and your point is a good one, the only point I was making was this perception. Uh, and a lot of people in the community perceive it to be a louder megaphone when it's a, uh, a black officer uh, and a white uh, I'm, I'm sorry, a white officer and a black suspect, as opposed to a black suspect and a black victim. It uh, there, there there is the appearance of a louder megaphone when that happens. I understand that. I for seven years we did a preventive march through uh through uh, Mondale Brightwood from 25th and Sherman all the way to Douglas Park. It was our march against the madness. We were trying to prepare ourselves for the summer to stand up to our kids and remind our kids to love each other and those kind of things don't get as publicized but there is a difference again between when a police officer who's licensed who who you pay taxes to make sure they're in positions when they uh-huh. murder you than when somebody else does so we can do both we've done both there are several organizations and great pastors and leaders who are uh, nonprofits that are working with people and trying to do preventive measures with our children and trying to talk to our children and trying to get our children on the right path. That's one thing. But the other thing is we have to be able to stand when those who were supposed to be uh, protect and serve or whatever we, we're paying them to do, when that murder happens, we have to be able to stay, say, no, we're not going for that. And I, and Pastor I Howard, can you stay right the, there? I have a couple of callers, and then we're gonna we're gonna let you go. Uh, okay. Pierre, go ahead. You had a que- go ahead. You had a comment. Pastor Howard, stay right there. Uh, real quickly, because um, I know you're limited on time, um, it ain't Whitey's fault anymore. We're dealing with. We know what the problems is. We know what the issues is. Stop blaming Whitey. It's not Whitey's fault. Uh, from what I understand, it was. It was, uh, we keep referring to white officers, but I believe a, a black officer uh, shot the, um, uh, the the man in the back who was running with the gun. No, it wasn't a black officer. With... It was a white officer. It was a white officer. It was officer. a white officer? Yeah, it was a white officer. Oh, okay. I thought the, I thought the man was black. But it is. No, he's white. Uh, we have to, um, um, you know, and, and then somebody said about putting it, the folk in the military. We don't want killers and lawbreakers in the military. And, uh, you know, last day you wanted somebody uh, put human rights violators in the military. Right. That's so what I was we, saying. That that, that just wouldn't a, go anymore with human rights violations. Also, so. We need a, a correctional custody facility for these young folk uh, to send them to give them one last chance to get it right uh, before they end up in prison and dead. And, mm. and another thing, Tina, uh, 
what I've noticed about all of these police action shootings is the willingness of people being stopped by the police to confront the police and fight with the police uh, when it's not necessary. And, you know, like the woman that got shot and killed through the windshield. Now, yeah, the cop didn't have to pull the trigger um, and shoot her like that. But then on the other hand, uh, you got a cop standing in front of your car with a gun drawn. Why are you going to get on the accelerator and give him an opportunity and a reason to shoot and kill you? Now, he's probably going to get off. He's probably not even going to get charged. Why give a cop the opportunity to shoot and kill you when all you got to do is yeah, Pierre, and thank you, Pierre. That Pierre, that's another. Thank you, Pierre. Pastor Howard, um, the point that Pierre just made is yet another one. Why are suspects giving officers the opportunity? You know, there, therein lies a problem as well. That's victim blaming, Tina. We would be in an uproar if you said she shouldn't have wore her skirt so short. That's why she got raped. That's victim blaming. That's uh-huh. victim blaming. No, no, that's victim blaming. We have to. It's okay. You're not anti-police. You're not anti-whatever. It's okay to say you cannot murder black people in a state-sponsored uniform. You cannot murder us, period. But definitely, if you're the police, you're you're sworn to protect and serve us. Give us the same grace that you were given outrageous or or a white person who's having a mental breakdown. Uh, You rarely see black officers shooting white people yeah uh ron go ahead uh ron go ahead how are you guys i'm gonna be real quick here too uh there there are there are a lot of answers to this question but we just haven't found them yet uh the if a i guess h Rap brown i think he said this the violence is as american as apple pie and baseball okay the country was built on violence now I think the problem that we have as far as black-on-black crime and and the other crime of police action murders, okay, what we're saying is, yeah, we kill each other, but that doesn't give you the right to kill, to execute us, okay? Now, as far as the victim blaming, I, I'm, I'm kind of at odds with that to a degree because if, if I am a uniformed policeman, I'm telling you to halt, first of all, I shouldn't have to have my my weapon pulled anyway. But if I have my weapon pulled and you hit the accelerator, I don't think that's victim blaming because either you're going to be the victim or I'm going to be the victim. And self-preservation kicks in there. Okay. Any of these other killings like George Floyd, uh, the gentleman in South Carolina, and so on and so on, I see that. Okay. And I I don't see black officers, like the, the pastor said, I don't see black officers just killing anyone basically i'm sure there are some that well there there was five of them in uh memphis yeah and 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 then and uh what the ones in uh philadelphia yeah but we in philadelphia yeah yeah we used to have that problem here (laughs) i won't mention any names but we used to have that problem here but what i will say uh kids today just can't fight in my generation everybody wanted to be muhammad ali okay now everybody wants to be john dillinger and it's something that we have to do as a society. We can say crabs in a bucket and so on and so on, but we're not going to be able to get out of the Crabs in a bucket is a natural form of survival, okay? But 
we have to figure out a way, and God knows I don't have the answer, we have to figure out a way to do this amongst ourselves. Society is not going to help us with this. This is something that's going on. So, And in, in closing, I'll say this. When you say, when you talk about black-on-black crime, and it's demographics involved in that, and you say there are 93% of black on, on, on the crimes committed against black are committed by other blacks, well, there's a 83% of white-on-white crime, okay? So if you look at the raw numbers, they're probably killing each other far more than we are or committing crime against each other far more than we are since we're a smaller demographic anyway. So, again, and I'll say in closing, this problem, even with the police, okay, we have to solve this on our own, okay? We have to get out there in our neighborhoods. And, I'm, you know, I, I, I understand the, the, and I agree with the pastors being out, but we've got to see fathers, uncles, bro, big brothers, big sisters, and all. we got to see them in the neighborhood, just like it used to be when we were coming up, Tina, where if Miss Jones saw you doing something, Miss Jones didn't hesitate to tell your parents because she knew your parents were going to take care of that. And that's mm-hmm. all I have. Thank you. Yeah, and nowadays uh, parents will jump on the person that comes and tells you about your child. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and that's unfortunate, too. But, uh, Pastor Howard, uh, just your, your thoughts on the last couple of calls, and then I, I have to let you go. Well, first of all, you have to ask yourself, who was the victim in Memphis? See, that's what I'm saying. Who was the victim in Memphis? But I want to answer, he said that we have, a list of a list of answers and i'm like okay what is but here's what i think one answer is i think it was nick giovanni who said that black love is black wealth we've got to love each other and then we got to stop talking uh uh tina i said this before we got to start using bc language anytime somebody's talking to me about the black community they start mentioning leaving their doors open and all this stuff then i know they're bc they're before crack we got to start talking about what the crack epidemic, we're still feeling the rep- uh, ramifications of the crack epidemic in the black community. When people start talking about leaving their doors open and their neighbors and stuff, I promise you they're talking about before 1985. Now look how far we are removed from 1985. Those babies whose parents were on crack and drugs, now they've had children, and their children are, and their children are the children that we're trying to have questions about. We need black love to help us deal with this. Black love is our wealth. The more we love each other, the more we love each other, the better community will be. And so we got to love each other enough to stand up for each other. Whether or not you knew Gary or not, you need to be able to stand up and say we don't support any state-sponsored violence in our community. Doesn't mean we hate the police. We're saying this officer, who, as a matter of fact, historically already injured a, injured a black man severely. You can check his records of uh, What's this oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He is a uh, the somebody had to pay out a lawsuit, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar lawsuit that he was so, found liable for. Absolutely. So we're not saying we're against all police, but when you harm us, when you murder us, somebody has to stand up and say, "Not that, not him." No. Period. Point blank. Charge the man. But we love each other enough. I think we need to stop talking about black people in such a deficit. Black people do love each other. You see a lot of good things going on in Indianapolis. There's a lot of great organizations moving around in Indianapolis. Some grassroots groups that are loving on black children, loving on black boys, loving on black girls, and doing some amazing things. So we need to start talking about ourselves from a, a, an appreciative inquiry. Make, make sure we speak well of us. We are an amazing people. 
We always have been. We've survived. We've survived being trapped. We've survived being in caves. We've survived Jim and Jane Crow. We've su- survived the crack epidemic. We've survived the prison boom of the 90s. We've survived. And we will continue to survive because black love is what keeps us. Yeah. Uh, Pastor Howard, tell us again about tomorrow. You can meet us tomorrow uh, at the prosecutor's office. We'll be out there at 12 noon. All we're saying and all we're, st- all we're standing for is justice. Uh, we're just asking the prosecutor to charge the man. We're making our demands. Uh, we're not there to tell nothing, to violate nothing. We have a right to assemble. And we'll utilize our constitutional right and demand justice for that family, not just for his family, but for every black family that has to deal with the horrific reality of state-sponsored violence, of watching their children be shot in a driveway over 30-plus times, uh, watching uh, the Sandra Blands and the Philando Castillo's and the George Floyd's and the Tamir Rice and all of these things. Detroit. We, we have to stand and say, man... We cannot allow this. We have to, every time it happens, every time it happens, we have to stand in solidarity. We have to stand in power. All the power belongs to the people. The people can change anything they desire to change. All righty. Thank you, Pastor Donnell Howard. We really appreciate you being with us. And tomorrow at noon, prosecutor's office, uh, hashtag uh, justice for baby G. I'm assuming baby G was uh, Gary Harrell's nickname. Yes, that was his nickname. That was his community name. You know how we do in the chocolate community. We always got a nickname for you. I know. Got, you know how we do. <laughs> That's our love for each other. We always got something else that we call you. It's a love language indeed, all our own. Thank you, Pastor Howard. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Ms. Penny. Appreciate you. All right. And now uh, switch to um, uh, a different matter, but in, in a lot of ways similar in, in that, you, you know, you're still looking to validate one's uh, oneself in in every way possible fairly um and um as you know the dr martin luther king day of service is usually associated and held around the king holiday and or dr king's birthday uh, but recently the indiana civil rights commission has been moving their day of service to late summer or early fall um such is the case again this year and they are looking for some volunteers if i understand it correctly here now with more on that is uh, greg will Executive Director of the Indiana Civil Rights Commissioner. I'm sorry, Civil Rights Commission. Uh, (laughs) The Civil Rights Commission. Tina, it's Monday, Greg. It's Monday. How are you doing? Hey, Tina. How are you? It's been a while. I'm great. Great. Been a while, been a while. Hey, a very interesting conversation, and I, I think it kind of dovetails, if not segues, uh, into the work of organizations like the Indiana Civil Rights Commission, because there's so many different layers and aspects to us all making sure that our rights are all protected. Um, and the Civil Rights Commission, with the, I think it's five pillars or so, um, you know, does that. And People need to understand that that's, that's another avenue as well. Yeah, our mission is, uh, Tina, is to eradicate illegal discrimination. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have the five pillars basically is uh, fair housing, employment, education, mm-hmm. credit, and public spaces. And Absolutely. if you feel like you have been discriminated against, then I can't get into scenarios over the phone, but if you call us at 327-232-2600, and give us a call, and we can talk or discuss it with you. Or go to our website, uh, icrc.gov, 
and we have a new portal which will allow you to uh, put your complaint on the portal, your inquiry into the portal. And we have it. It's Google language, so we have over 100-plus different languages you might speak or and you might enter it by. But today, oh. one thing, Tina, you were right, this community, you know, we have to, and I heard uh, Pastor Howard and know him, but we have a lot of things in the community that we can do. And one of the things, um, since the governor allowed us to have two uh, days of um, service, days of service, full days, instead of doing it in January where it's cold and we can't get as much. And you know, Tina, it's cold in January sometimes. And, uh, yes, uh, it is. <laughs> and we can't get as much done. And so I, we moved it to September and to do our two days of service. And we work with the community. We didn't just come up with it. Uh, we work with the, the community and finding out what types of projects they wanted us to do, what type of beautification projects. We work with the businesses. We work with the city. And this year, now last year we had 150 volunteers. And so we did an incredible uh, job as far as all the work we were able to accomplish. And this year we have a probably about similar, but we're looking for people who might want to come out and be a part of what we're doing tomorrow. So it's two days, Tina, or September the 19th and 20th, and we start at 8.30. We meet at Watkins Park and uh, the Family Center there. It's at 2360 Dr. M.O.K. Boulevard. And uh, we'll meet there in the morning. We'll have a, well, tomorrow our kickoff will be at 930 where we have a few people who have partnered who will come alongside us to help pay for lunch and breakfast. We have lunch and breakfast on both days on us. And then we're going to do this work uh, on MLK Boulevard Street. We have lots of projects from uh, Birchway Parkway all the way down to 28th. And then we do some of the side street areas there too. And then we also, this year, I wanted to do something different. Uh, Frank Young's Park, I don't know if you're familiar with Frank Young Park. Uh, no, tell me about it. Yeah, it's a nice community park. It, last year, I think it turned 100 years old. It's right in the heart of the neighborhood, and we wanted people to come and uh, be a part of us as we work with the city. And uh, now we have a lot of city agencies who are partnered with us. I'm just telling you the, the state, I mean city, but state agencies who are partnered to be able to do this and help us with that. But uh, anyway, uh, Frank Young is a nice little community park, and it has some strong community advocates for it. And we're going to be, like, redoing all the mulch, planting flowers, cutting and moving, removing weeds, and maybe doing some light painting. Uh, and uh, so uh, moving invasive plants. And uh, it's just so many things that we're going to do that park. We're going to really kind of bring that park up. And, you know, I thought things like this, if we all just look at opportunities to do these neighborhood uh, days of service, just think the impact we could have if, if so many groups and things did this type of things in the neighborhood, Tina. You know what? It, it does make an impact because just even seeing something look nice, that gives you a sense of pride that, hey, this is nice. This is where I live. And it doesn't matter where. It it always makes you feel a certain way when you look out and see your area, your neighborhood, your community looking nice, looking good. I mean, nobody wants to say, hey, come on down to the house or come by and then, you know, to run by a bunch of mess. Right. Nobody really wants that. So if you don't have to have it and if there's a way to stop that from occurring or something to where you you can even do a little bit of improvement to it. That makes a difference. 
It makes a big difference. And so, Tina, we're excited. Like I said, we'll be serving breakfast in the morning. We'll have plenty of, of water so you can stay hydrated. Uh, it's some work to do, but it's good work because we're giving back to the community. And hopefully we feel we're, we're making a difference. The community always welcomes us. Like I said, last year was the first time we did the two days. And so this year we continue with the two-day. But the volunteer pool just keeps growing and growing and growing. And I would love to have a 1,000 volunteers. Just think how much work we can get done. And uh, we might get there one day, Tina. Yeah. Well, you know what, though, Greg? Here's the other thing. Can you imagine, I mean, all of the connections uh, and the bonding that took place with folks that didn't even know each other last year but that came to volunteer? When you go to events like this, and everybody's doing a shared task, so to speak. Yeah. It make you make friends, you make it, connections. You know, you 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 just build more of a sense of community, and uh, it, it's a given. It's going to happen. You just have to show up and 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 give it an opportunity, give it a chance. I tell you, and we did a project at the VFW Hall there uh, for Black Veterans. We did a project there. And I'll tell you, the hard work it took to get this big, giant plant they had in the middle of the uh, yard <laughs> out. I mean, people were working hard and laughing and encouraging. And when we finally got that last bit out, it was almost celebratory, uh, in a sense, oh, wow. because we had, we've accomplished something. And so the, the city has been a good partner. Aspie Union, Steve Quick, those guys have helped me so much with painting stripes back down, uh, cutting limbs, hanging over the sidewalks. And like I said, we get all the grass out between the sidewalks on the basketball court, too. And uh, we just do a, a lot of uh, beautification projects. And hopefully those who want to come on out, if you have any questions, they can call 327-232-2600, and uh, they can provide more information. But if you come there again tomorrow, the 18th and, I mean, excuse me, 19th and 20th, we're meeting at Walken Park uh, right there outside. And uh, come on in and help us out. Greg, we have a caller that wants to speak with you real quick before you have to run out. Uh, go ahead, uh, caller. Go ahead. Yes, hi. I was. Hi. I um, I'm not just talking about Watkins Park. I'm talking about our communities in general. When I go by communities, particularly out east, the Far East. I used to live out in the Far East back in the '70s, and the majority of those houses were owned were owned by white people back in the day. What has really changed? The houses are still beautiful. We just have to feel good about our neighborhood. Yeah. We can fix up our own house. We can make our. We don't have to move out of our neighborhood. A lot of people give. Well, I'm moving to a better neighborhood. Nothing's wrong with our neighborhood. It's just how we feel about it. You can fix up every. If everybody fixed up their house, or if a few people just fixed up their house and say, "Hey, this looks good," and make us feel good about ourselves. I mean. If that's anywhere, I, I don't believe we have to move out of our neighborhoods in order to make our, uh, well, I'm going to make me better. I'm going to move out into the suburbs, into a nice, there's nothing wrong with our neighborhoods because white people, when they lived there, they had pride about their houses and we can do the same. I don't see any problem with that. And I don't understand why we feel like we got to move out of our neighborhoods in order to go someplace better. That's ridiculous. Then that neighborhood will become all black, and it'll get, we yeah. won't care about that neighborhood. Then we'll want to move out of another neighborhood. Mm. We need to stay in our neighborhoods and beautify our own neighborhoods. I agree with everything that he's saying 
about Watkins Park. I agree with that. But we have to do it in all the neighborhoods. If people would get up and say, I'm good. If it's not for planting flowers and cutting the grass, I didn't mm-hmm. say remodel your whole house. Maybe people can't afford that. But you can afford to cut your grass and put flowers out in the summer and fall and spring uh, and just make uh, maybe paint a little bit your house. Mm-hmm. And everybody does that. Say, hey, my neighborhood looks pretty good. Um, yeah. I don't have so, to- yeah, and, that, you know, you may, thank you. Thank you for your call. And, Greg, um, you know, what she's saying is, you know, in a lot of ways, this this day of service or these days of service t- uh, tomorrow and and the day after uh, might be encouragement, might be setting examples for not just the Watkins Park neighborhood, but for neighborhoods all over that, hey, you two can do this. Well, Tina, you're right. I mean, we've been doing this. Uh, well, we're only doing the on day of service on the actual day of service, Martin Luther King's birthday. But, you know, you couldn't do it. I couldn't do enough doing the, that time frame, and we wanted to have more impact. Just like I said last year, we didn't venture as far in the neighborhood, uh, but now we're able to venture even further because of the amount of volunteers that we've been able to get. And I do encourage people to adopt the neighborhood area. I said we've been doing this for about 15, 20 years, ICRC, in this particular neighborhood, but never at this level. And so I brought together partners like with Salesforce and uh, mm-hmm. MCWise and, uh, like I said, all these state agencies. I've been getting them because, again, with the, the governor's order for us to allow us for two days of service, uh, this is a great opportunity for us. And guess what? It's always – it just feels good to make a difference. And that's what I taught my kids. Let's be difference makers. Let's do things that have impact for change. And I think this can have impact for change if more people and organizations partner to Indeed. do these types of things. First thing tomorrow morning and Wednesday morning, 8 a.m., is that correct? That's the eight. No, you have to show up at eight thirty. Show up at eight thirty, and uh, we'll get you in. Uh, we have a lot of people signed up. Like I said, we'll be serving breakfast and lunch, and we have plenty, plenty of water. So we just <laughs> want the people to come out and help us to make a difference in our neighborhood. And I don't live in the neighborhood, but I want to be a part of that neighborhood as far as the things we can do to have impact. Absolutely. Greg Wilson, Executive Director, Indiana Civil Rights Commission, uh, ML King, days of service uh, out there on the northwest side starting tomorrow. Food, um, plenty of work. You will not be uh, at, a, at a loss for work to do. Uh, a lot of neighborhood beautification, a lot of community building. Uh, thank you, Greg, and uh, good luck thank tomorrow. Tina. Tina, thanks so much for short notes and let me come on. Thank you. Ah, not a problem at all. And we will be back with more community connection. God, I, uh, boy, this is, this is really intriguing. I hope you stay with us. Um, this is a story that has endured for 55 years, uh, and on so many levels, uh, I'll tell you more. We'll tell you more about it. There's a documentary about it, and it's right here uh, in Indianapolis. We'll be right back. Let's get back to the conversation. It's Community Connection with Tina Cosby on Praise AM 1310, 95.1 FM, Indy's Inspiration Station. And we're back with Community Connections. We were saying at the top of the show, the disturbing, racially motivated, brutal murder of a young black woman from Rushville, Indiana, in Martinsville, Indiana, it happened in Martinsville, Indiana 55 years ago, has had profound and lasting effects on so many levels. Um, As we were also saying, uh, the story of Carol Marie Jenkins has been made into a book, is now a soon-to-be-released documentary by award-winning investigative journalist Sandra Chapman, who 
I can also say is a formal colleague and I can also say is a current friend. <laughs> Sandra, welcome to the show um, and congratulations on this amazing uh, journey that you have been on that has uh, culminated in this documentary. And I can honestly say as well that you have with you um, an amazing, uh, talented young man, your director of photography, Mario Page. So Mario, welcome to the show as well. Welcome to both of you. Thank you, Tina. Thank you, it Tina. Is Thank you for calling young. me young man, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you like that. Hey, we're all young. We're all we young. We are glad. If we're not 90, we're young, I think. So. And 90-year-olds <laughs> are still young, too. So. <laughs> Indeed. But, but, but really, to the, to the both of you, congratulations. Thank you so much. As you know, this has been a, a really long journey for me. And then mm -hmm. Mario has been along on this journey for almost the last two years. So um, we easily get um, intertwined and, and engaged in this story. Um, mm -hmm. it, it just has that um, effect on people. Sandra, can you quickly, for those who may not have known, I mean, this, this story was ingrained in me, the, the lesson uh, before I went to college. I mean, I was a freshman at Indiana University, and as you know, Martinsville's close to Bloomington, and I was told, if you're ever in Martinsville, keep it moving. Don't go through Martinsville or what have you. Um, the, the story and, and the title, The Girl in the Yellow Scarf, can you summarize for those who in the state of Indiana or anybody listening may not necessarily be familiar with what this story is about? Absolutely, Tina. This this uh, situation happened in 1968. Carol Jenkins was just 21 years old. She and her girlfriend um, were looking for work and decided to sell encyclopedias. They were in training in Indianapolis, and then they had to go out in the field. And they thought they were going uh, down to Vincennes. But for whatever reason, the manager stopped in Martinsville this night and told them they were going to go sell encyclopedias in Martinsville. Um, and at that time, Martinsville at that time was known to be um, not a racially friendly place for African-Americans and other people of other descent. So um, they went, they did, they were in the car, they stopped, uh, and each of the young ladies had to go out on their own. So again, they were selling by themselves in the city of Martinsville, going door to door. Carol, long story short, was um, found on a sidewalk on the main thoroughfare through town. She'd been stabbed in the heart and killed. And so this story was, uh, you know, of course, it just shocked everybody from Indianapolis on uh, across central Indiana. For 33 years, there was no arrest, no information about who could have done this, who could have mm -hmm. killed Carol Jenkins. And... So, I'm sorry, so there was no answer, and Carol was, um, this, this case went on for, for 33 years, and then finally in 2001, um, I had started working on this case, and there was a woman who called me after my stories aired and said, if this girl had a yellow scarf and was killed with a screwdriver, my father could be the killer. So, that's where the yellow scarf comes in and um you know there's a lot of twists and turns throughout all of this um you know uh, through all of these years but um that's the that's the short story of it mm -hmm. 
Sandra, I'd like to ask both you and Mario, I, and I, I, I witnessed some of this myself, because like I said, you're a former colleague, uh, but w what was it about this story that got a hold of you and has created uh, you know, such a lasting uh, journey of discovery? And, and Sandra, I'll let you answer that first, and then Mario, you can, you can answer that as well. Absolutely. Um, Tina, I think you already mentioned some of it. When I moved here in 1993, uh, one of the first things I was told was don't go to Martinsville by yourself. And mm -hmm. I thought, what What are you talking about? They yeah. said, do not, you're a black woman, do not go to Martinsville alone, ever. And don't, if you don't have to go there for work, don't go there. And that intrigued me. It was 1993. I thought, this is ridiculous. You know, what, what are we mm -hmm. talking about here? And then every September, it seemed, um, I would see little clips, very short, just of Carol's stepfather, Paul Davis, asking for people to please. I mean, just pretty much begging for information. And he was, it was just such a sad thing. In 2001, I saw this again. And it just hit me. I think it hit different because I had just come uh, back from dealing with court proceedings from my own father who had been killed in Fort Wayne. And so for three months before we knew what had happened in my father's case, I understood that waiting. I understood the pain. I understood how excruciating that is. But I could not even imagine for 33 years. And here he was again. And so I called him and I said, I, I, I need to come and talk to you. I want to I talk to you about an investigative story. Has anyone ever done a full investigative story on Carol's case? He said no. And so we went and I talked to him. And that afternoon, he, I mean, he poured out his heart. But I promised Paul Davis that I would do whatever I could to help bring information forward in my capacity as an investigative journalist. And so, mm -hmm. of course, you know, you do the series, you get the final go-ahead to do that. It was very uh, sensitive. You know, I was being looked, you know, all my work was being checked, everything, and uh, we aired this story. And then I get this phone call that absolutely gave me chills. And this woman said, if the girl had a yellow scarf and was killed with the screwdriver, my father could be the killer. And there was something different about her voice. There was something different about her. She said she was seven years old, and then she didn't want to leave her name. So I started this kind of um, this quest to find out who she was. Well, I did. And then we started talking. We started to develop a rapport. And... I realized, I was like, this woman has too much information about too many things to not know that this is not true. And and then after I asked Paul Davis about the yellow scarf, state police just went, you know, really kind of spastic um, to the point they were calling me at my, at my job, telling me I needed to turn over all my files. Um, it was it was quite the experience, and I was uh, um, not, you know, um, long in investigative journalism. So this was this is three years into my my investigative journalism career. So it was mm -hmm. just that fascinating. And so after all these years, there have just been new things, Tina. Things just keep happening. In mm. 2017, for the first time, 
the city of Martinsville held a city meeting and apologized to the family of Carol Jenkins. And that was brought on by Carol's hometown of Rushville, where the mayor and the city there was having, they were all reckoning with race after Charlottesville. And Mm. so this, you know, it just keeps coming. And so I, I wrote the book in 2012 and and then I had to attend it, you know, make it, you know, some addendums because of what happened in 2017. And then this, like when I, before I left uh, broadcast news, I had been being, I was being contacted by uh, investigation discovery and people magazine discovery, all these investigative units online wanting to do Carol's story mm-hmm. and, you know, wanting me to provide all the information. And I thought, you know, this is, this doesn't make much sense. I may as well do it myself. I lived it. I worked it. I know the people. And that was mm. the other thing. The, the folks from, from Martinsville, they knew me. They knew what I stood for. And um, they knew my reputation as an investigative journalist. And so they talked to me, whereas they weren't talking to some of these other folks. So that is why it stayed with me. Now I'll let Mario um, jump in and talk about his involvement. Wow, uh, so, um, Mario, go ahead. Uh, what uh, your paths have intersected along the way? What drew what drew you to this? What first drew you to this? Well, um, I could relate to it a little bit, like yourself, because I too started at Indiana University. Um, mm-hmm. That was where I first went to college, and then I ended up finishing at an HBCU. But I was told the same thing, you know, when I was going down to Bloomington, you know, gas up. <laughs> You know, don't don't stop in Martinsville. Just keep exactly. keep going. You know, and um, and I was like, wow. I mean, and then for this to happen, it's it's like this is what everybody was talking about. I mean, who else? I mean, there's probably other stories that we haven't heard of. I mean, it, it's all it's it's almost like it was a hidden story that happened because in 1968, you know, news didn't travel like it did like like it does nowadays or like you know when we're all you know going live you know when we were all journalists and whatnot um i mean you had king assassinated in 1968 you had you know the civil rights act of 1968 going on there was a lot of stuff going on so this story you know nobody really knew anything about and so um i lived in indiana for a portion of my life um i was born in michigan right outside detroit and i was also raised in chicago so this 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 piqued my interest um, when Sandra told me about it, and I wanted to work on it. Um, in my career in in journalism, I'd never done investigative stories, so here was my chance to work on a sort of an investigative story, but in, in documentary form. And since I had retired out of journalism, I had been working on documentaries, and um, and I just I wanted to work on it. I, I wanted to be a part of this. And, uh, you know, and even with those of us that worked in journalism and, you know, we're around all walks of life of people and whatnot. I mean, I'm sure all three of us have experienced some sort of racism or being in a town, you know, I mean, down here in Georgia, I've been in some towns down here when I was, you know, a member of the media and I'm in a news vehicle, whatever. And, you know, I've had somebody call me the N word before. You know, what are you doing here? You know, and we're, myself and a reporter could be working on a story or I could have been sent out to go shoot B-roll or something by myself. And I will tell you this, when, when Sandra and I were in Martinsville, with the exception of going through Martinsville, that was my first time ever in Martinsville when we went 
uh, to shoot uh, uh, some of our sto- uh, documentary down there. And I was a little bit nervous, I have to admit, because I'm... <laughs> You know, you want to watch your back, like. Well, yeah, it's it's larger than life. The the notorious nature of what happened, uh, the black eye that that town, that community, that city has had over the years in terms of racist behavior, allegations of racism, things of that nature. Uh, they they've been enduring. Um, and, and all as a result of this case. I mean, it didn't take long for that to happen, and it, it's still, the stain in a lot of ways on Martinsville is still there as a result of this case, is it not, Sandra? It is, And but, uh, Tina, I will say that from our research, we have found that the racism was actually there before Carol. Um, even mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Carol's friends were talking about growing up um, individuals from Rushville, um, you know, mayors and things like that from Rushville said when they were growing up, they knew this, that um, black athletes, black people were mm-hmm. treated poorly when they when they went to um, Martinsville. So I think the, the the I think Martinsville attached it to Carol and said it's just this case. And so when in, in mm. 2002, when this seven-year-old now she's been she was 40 by that time when her father was arrested they thought okay we're vindicated everything's great and they mm-hmm. went on national news saying now you know this guy was actually living in in um, in indianapolis so that just vindicates us but they were so sorely mistaken because it wasn't just this case and the other issue is that they failed to realize that he was in Martinsville because he's got friends there and people that were um, open to his racist line of thinking and his behavior and, and the things that he was involved in. And so, um, you know, that's what I have to remind them. Uh, and I've sat down and I, I have been to Martinsville probably, <laughs> I don't know, I've been there a lot. And I will say, there are some good people in Martinsville. I've worked with people that live there. I um, know officials in that town, judges and others. And they have been more than fair, more than cordial. And some people say, well, that's because you're a news person. But I've gone to the town, you know, with just, you know, like Mario and I went, or I've gone there for research. Mm-hmm. And I'm careful. I don't, I do go during the day and I do let people <laughs> know where I am. But yeah. um, I'm not going to say the entire town is that way. But the, no. but what's unfortunate is that the majority of the town has failed over the generations to, um, to speak out. To be to, to, to be intentional, to take steps to say mm. this is not acceptable. This is not who we're going to be when we have children in a high school when when teens come in yelling derogatory and racial mm. slurs. We're not going to put up with this and not yeah. make mistakes. And I've had time where I've actually, I mean, I've sat down and talked with their leaders for over an hour, even before we ever. Uh, did the interview. And so, again, trying to help them to see that it's more than just, you know, saying, well, it's the media or it's just, you know, this unfortunate case. No, it is intentionality. And Martinsville is the last donut county in Mary around Indianapolis to um, expand, to grow, to see any growth. And that this is part of the reason 
the racist reputation has stained that community. And to think that it's so close, it's 30 minutes from IU, um, that would be a wonderful place for professors coming in to think if they wanted to purchase a home and live there or mm-hmm. something. But, but people don't move there. And, I, and I, I told them, you know, you've got to look at this. Racism is actually impacting your economics. And, you know, until this is dealt with, you're going to have this. And it's been, at least for us, five generations, 55 years at least. And so 2017 was a positive step. That one administration decided to do something. What the other administrations will decide to do, we have to wait and see. Our guest, if you're just now tuning in, uh, Sandra Chapman, award-winning investigative journalist, author, and now filmmaker of the documentary, The Girl in the Yellow Scarf, Mario Page, uh, photographer and the director of photography for uh, the soon-to-be-released documentary film, uh, The Girl in the Yellow Scarf. Uh, Mario and Sandra, you left us with a, uh, with a, with a, trailer um it is radio so they're going to miss a little bit but i think they can get the gist of of how the documentary is we can set it up a little bit let's let's see if we can play that sky for just a few minutes there was something inside that you knew was not right it was evil 1968, a young black woman murdered in a former sundown town. It was just the way she was killed, walking down the street. And it's heartbreaking that somebody that had hatred for them would do that. Who did it and why? There's secrets and lies. Race is at the heart of it, and it's not just Martinsville. A family awaits justice. They didn't bit more care. Black girl got murdered down here. They didn't care. They didn't give a doggone. A murder case goes cold. Did you know that you were supposed to be dead? Well, no. <laughs> I had never heard that. I've never killed nobody in my life. Then, a phone call that changed everything. This girl had a yellow scarf and was killed with a screwdriver. My father could be the killer. Who was the accomplice? Witnesses bring light to a 50-year-old murder mystery as the nation faces a crossroad. The problem is the dark past is still shaping the present. Now, for the first time, two Hoosier communities explore the legacy left behind. It's not too late to do the right thing, and the right thing was to help the next generation be better people as a result of her story. We can't change history. We need to learn from mistakes that were made. History unfolds beyond the headlines of the girl in the yellow scarf. Wow, that's that's powerful. Mar- Mario, what was your biggest challenge in bringing this to life visually? Sandra's lived it and, and done it all, but what was, your, what was your challenge, especially as the director of photography? Trying to tell a story, basically with what you have now, we were talking like, you know, 50 something years later, mm. um, 
you know, it, it's it, it's like, wow, you're starting from scratch. It's almost like you're starting from scratch. Um, I will say that having Sandra's um, stories that she's done um, mm-hmm. when she was covering this as an investigative reporter, I mean, that's, that's telling the story right there. And we're trying to get whoever we can that's still alive, still around, you know, to interview. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a, the, the most challenging part. I mean, there are, there are some people that we, you know, probably wish we could have had on the documentary that we weren't able to to get um, for various reasons and so you have to you know I mean Sandra crafted the story and worked around it I mean that, um, but visually yeah I mean it's, it's kind of hard to do visually I mean you know but most of the visuals were just the interviews and some b-roll um, in the different you know in, in Martinsville um, um, and just trying to, you know, you try to think back, like, well, what happened back then? And you try to visualize, you know, how can I tell this story? Yeah. But think back, you know, 50-something years, you know, what did it look like? You know, was you know, did the street that we're on look like that? You know, we there was an area where we were where she, uh, where she had allegedly had, where she was killed. And, um, you know, and there was a house nearby where maybe somebody may have, heard what was going on or whatever i mean just you're just trying to recreate something from the past you know you're telling a historical it's a historical story yeah it is and 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 I, you know in a lot of ways history is is continuing with with this story i i like the, the 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 two communities and all that anyway it's now a documentary and uh soon uh to be available for all to see so tell us the the final deep sandra when where how how's it all going to come to when can people see it well that's a that's a great question <laughs> tina we uh, we actually started out you know we were going to have two debut screenings we were going to and have one here in indianapolis um and then one in Carol's hometown of Rushville. We scheduled those. We've got, we have theaters, and um, they're going to be this week. Um, but it was something really amazing happened. We uh, started advertising our uh, screenings, and within three weeks we were sold out, and we still had three weeks to go. So <laughs> it's a good problem to have, but it just showed us how much um, people were interested in this story because People here in central Indiana have heard something, and for some of them, it was almost like an urban legend, I think, for some people, and especially Mm -hmm. for the new generation, because they don't know why. They just say, don't do this, and so it's passed on. But they don't really understand. They don't know the story. They don't know all the, you know, the details of what has happened over all these years. And so I think this gives people, for some generations, and that's what's really awesome about it, it's multi-generational. Because some of the generations, they know full well. They were there. Uh, we yeah. talked with, you know, people who, who were on campus at that time or going to campus. And so for them, it's kind of, you know what, I always wonder what happened. And mm-hmm. it's good to know that this is happening. Or for others, it's just now coming in. So we're going to be at the Can Can Theater on uh, Thursday. That is the debut screening. We're sold out. Um, sold all the seats as well as at the Rushville Princess Theater on Saturday. Saturday night, but again, we're we're sold out. So we're hoping. Uh, I'm working. In fact, I've been working today, and and actually since uh, the last week, um, trying to find another screening location 
um, because I have been inundated with people asking, can you get, can we, can we get another screening? We'd love to buy tickets. We want to go. We missed out. We're sorry we missed out. So we're trying to address that um, as quickly as we can to see if we might not be able to do that. But um, it's, it, the, the response has been phenomenal. and We're really excited. Mm-hmm. And we're just so thankful for our supporters. And um, as Mario mentioned, you know, I worked at two TV stations here, those uh, WTHR and WISH. Um, they have both been phenomenal during this process, and, and um, as well as just so many other organizations. I have to say that um, we are, our um, main sponsor is um, the, the International Women's Media Foundation out of New York, and uh, their um, Howard G. Buffett um, Media f- um, Fund for for, for uh, women journalists. So let me, I'm trying to get all that straight. But basically, this is a, an amazing organization, international. Um, they do work with people with investigative reporters like Christiane Amapour from CNN, and um, they've done a lot of work with with locals and and uh, as far as local investigative reporters across the country. And they chose my project, so I'm I'm well, thankful to them for their funding and support, and uh, we're just excited for everybody to see it. So stay tuned. Well, we're excited as well, <laughs> and please let us know when there uh, another opportunity that's not sold out for our listeners uh, to be able to see the girl in the yellow scarf documentary uh, as soon as possible, because I'm sure we have a lot of uh, a lot of interest in that as well. Congratulations to you, Sandra. Congratulations, Mario. I am sure it's a phenomenal project and can't wait to see it myself. All righty. Thank you, Tina. Thanks for having us. All righty. Thank you both. And that is all the time we have for right now. We will talk to you again tomorrow. Until then, everyone be safe, be well. I'm Tina Cosby, and this is Community Connection.